Welcome to the Chatter in the Box podcast, where your hosts, Liam Skiffington and Matt Indominico, discuss all things baseball. From breaking news to the latest free agent signings, they'll dive into today's game with some of the top minds from around the league. You can catch the latest episode of the Chatter in the Box podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon Music, or visit our website at www.chatterinthebox.com. All right, so we are back. Episode 9, Matt? Chatter in the Box? It's got to be. Yeah. All right. And luckily, gratefully, we are joined by former All-Star Trevor Rosenthal. Trevor, how are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Liam, Matt, thanks for having me on. Former, I feel like maybe future All-Star as well. I'm feeling Future feeling All-Star really too, for sure. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Great energy from this guy right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate so trevor we appreciate you taking the time the reason we got connected today honestly i woke up one morning and saw you followed me on instagram so i have to ask like i'm no one why did you follow me dude you are someone everybody is someone i've learned so many valuable lessons from people who maybe don't have a huge following or haven't done anything super significant but um i don't i as far as the follow goes i i guess i am just prone to binge following where i might find some content that's attractive at the time and the algorithm starts shooting off a bunch of things that are related and i'm like okay give me more of that give me more of that give me more of that and then um in the world we live in now it's it's crazy how easy it is to get connected and uh, with someone like you, what you guys are doing and, you know, you're trying to do something for yourselves and make an impact and, and we can get connected easily through a, through a medium like, like Instagram. So I appreciate you guys having the interest to bring me on and excited to learn about what you guys are looking forward to chatting about and what you got going on in your lives. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, we, we can't wait to talk to you about your career, your journey and what you're up to today. I guess right off the rip, we can start. So you've kind of had like a bit of a roller coaster career so far from all-star to injuries. Um, so what is the biggest challenges you faced as a player and how have you overcome them? That's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still young, you know, being 32 year old, 32 years old currently in, in the baseball world. Um, you know, I've been around been, you know, about 10 years in the major league. So that some would label me as a veteran, but in the perspective of life, you know, there's still so many things I've yet to learn. And the, the last 10 years coming into the major leagues at 22 and now be being 32 um, it's been, it's gone by fast. It's been a whirlwind and a lot of things that I wasn't prepared for. And, and now looking back, um, taking the lessons that I've learned from and, and there's been, big challenges. I think it's been mostly around that is, is just, you're not as, as a, as a young professional athlete, most of us are just not prepared for, for what that, that job entails. Certainly there's a skill that we've developed. There's a talent and, and we get surrounded by people that are, are dedicated to developing those skills and talents, but there's a lot more that goes into it. There there's, there's psychological things. There's, there's personal life issues. I I've been married, uh, 12 year, 12 year anniversary is coming up in this December. I have three children. Um, and the skills that I have to, 
be good at baseball aren't necessarily valuable skills to be a good dad or husband or perform well in life. And um, we've seen a ton of stories of professional athletes doing things away from their profession that lead them in, into self-ruin or destruction. And uh, fortunately, I haven't gone that far, but um, I think it's just that. I think it's just trying to navigate this world as, uh, an, uh, I guess, a, a an influential figure or uh, someone that society looks to as uh, as successful and, and just because I can throw a baseball and miss barrels of bats, which uh, it, it's a that's a, just a I think mentally a hard phenomenon to adjust to and and I'm I'm learning more about that now and um, excited I, I think I'm excited mostly to apply that I think when you talk about athletes the, and being in their prime, it's the age range that I'm in right now where you have a, a bulk of, of experience. You still have the physical ability and, and it's kind of a crossroads and an intersection where those things can come together. And that's where I'm at right now. Um, so I'm excited about that. But more importantly, I think using my platform, using those, those lessons and my experiences to, to pass along. So hopefully Hopefully the younger the younger Trevor Rosenthal can not make the same mistakes and maybe not have such a roller coaster career and avoid some of those trials and tribulations. What's one message you would tell the younger Trevor Rosenthal, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think that it's it's a tough question, and depending on the day, it might be something different. Um, but right now. I think it's it's very challenging in, in the world that we live in because and, and certainly as a professional athlete where you go out on the field, there's a scoreboard. There's literally a scoreboard. There's there's analytics that are going to tell you, hey, today was a success or today was a failure. And and as a young Trevor Rosenthal, that that would that would stick with me when I drive home and get home. I would Trevor would would think, OK, I'm either a success or a failure, depending on, on what those analytics said. And it's just not true. I mean, fortunately the bulk of my career has been extremely successful. So there wasn't a lot of downtimes, um, but these last three years have, have really shed a light. And I think as unfortunate as it has been um, kind of getting down into, you know, the analogy would be like a rock bottom situation where you get down the rock bottom situation, you dug this hole, and you're looking at it and you're like, how do I get here? I'm going to make some changes. I think that's what I've come to realize is uh, we can't put value on, on what other people are saying or what outside results really that are out of our control. And um, if I'm doing the best that I can, that that's really what success is. And, and I think I would try and communicate. It's such a hard concept to grasp, especially at a young age, but I think that would be what I would tell myself right now. Absolutely. And Trevor, I mean, you come on to this podcast with such great energy. You tell us you're going to be a future all-star as well. We, everyone knows you've been a past all-star. And your perspective, you'd think you'd be around for like 60 years, it seems like. I mean, you, you have such good perspective on life. I guess my question for you is, you know, there are a lot of times where you see athletes that go down with injuries, right? And then you don't hear from them again. Yeah. Did you have a mentor during these past few years or someone that you look up to? Or did you just find it in your inner self? Um, where'd you find that inner strength? Yeah. Um, one thing that I've, I've been really fortunate about through the game of baseball is 
being teammates with some exceptional players and uh, a common denominator between those, those superstars, um, you know, the guys that are at the top of the craft and the guys that are doing it for a long time and have these 15, 20 year careers, uh, the, the, there's just a common denominator through them. And it's almost like they're, they just have it kind of figured out. They figured it out a little bit or the things that I'm talking about now, they figured that out and they figured out how to apply it. And um, it's, it's definitely taken me a lot longer to learn, but being surrounded by them has shed a a little bit of light. Um, And then there's been a a couple mentors in my life outside of baseball that have, have poured into me and that's been a part of it too. And, and then I think a third piece has just been an initiative of me uh, on myself um, to, to seek information. I've, I've gotten, uh, I've developed a, a stronger discipline of reading recently over the last couple of years, um, reading, just reading books, anything from fictional to non-fictional. And, and it's, I think it's all worked together to, to strengthen my mind and um, to give me a better, better sense of, of what what is my purpose what what is that uh what 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 am i valuing as a feedback mechanism and like we're talking about success what is how am i defining a successful day for trevor and yeah so i think all those all those things have been very important and it's sometimes you got to learn the hard way and and that's what it's been and and i think that's what i'm talking about that's why i'm so excited for the future future of baseball or just future for my life in general i'm uh, I feel a lot, a lot more secure, a lot more powerful with with what I am going to be able to accomplish going forward. Trevor, so in 2019, you made a successful comeback with the Nats for a little bit. Um, what changed for you that season, on and off the field? Yeah, so well, I missed 2018 with Tommy John surgery. Uh, it was an interesting time because I was in my last year of arbitration with the St. Louis Cardinals. So on the business end, it made sense for them to non-tender me a contract, ended up doing my rehabilitation by myself on my own with my own team. Um, And it it went relatively well. I ended up performing a showcase um, to show that I was healthy, signed a contract with the Washington Nationals. And then when I showed up that season, uh, it was going well to start, and then I had actually had a, quite a bit of struggle. Ended up getting released by the Washington Nationals, spent a little bit of time with the Detroit Tigers, uh, who I currently play for, and had some struggle, um, just mainly with my command. The skill set was still there, but I, I wasn't able to throw strikes. Um, and when that season ended, uh, I was I was a little bit – I was definitely frustrated. Frustrated because I felt like I had taken 18 months to – to pour everything into rehabilitating this surgery to the best of my possible ability. And the results just didn't come. And um, I knew it wasn't the end. I, I definitely had thoughts of giving up, but I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to go at this season ended. I'm going to go home. I'm going to figure this out. So I just went for, through that off season, figured it out, ended up signing a minor league contract with the Kansas city Royals came into camp, had a good spring training, ended up getting added to the roster and having a nice season in, in 2020. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess that kind of sums up. I don't know. I, I It's, there's so many things that I think variables that um, were in the picture with, with the struggle and in the comeback. And I'm, I, I can't really pinpoint it to one thing, um, but I, I'm proud of 
the resilience that I had, I, you, you kind of hit on it. There's a, so many athletes that like have an injury and then you don't hear from them again. And I get it. It's hard. And especially when you're putting too much value on what other people are saying, um, you can throw in the towel a little bit too early and, and give up that, that fight that got you to where you are. And, and so I'm proud of myself that I didn't do that. So you heard it here first, you're going to be a future all-star and what are we going to see? Triple digit uh trevor rosenthal again we're gonna see a clock 100 plus again i think so man i think um bodies are feeling really good uh this injury that i have right now it's a a contusion on the elbow like a bone bruise uh which is non-surgical it's just gonna take a little bit time but before i had that yeah the the velocity was there the all all my pitch metrics were what they had been um so i'm confident that that's gonna be there and just got to put in some work and, and I think most importantly, be patient. The time will come. We'll get there. Look at the smile on this guy's face, Matt. You can tell I'm starting to smile. I can feel, I feel like I'm in his shoes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm about to take the mound and pump a hundred. Yeah. Trevor, hey, you, well, Detroit's so- on what? We're on a four game winning streak right now. We're, I mean, that makes me happy too. It's a, it's there a, I think it's a, it's a fun time for the Detroit organization with switching up their management a little bit, uh, front office shakeup and the roster shakeup a little bit. It's, it's kind of like the first year of, of uh, what it looks like an uphill descent or ascent. Um, So I'm excited about that for them. Absolutely. So Trevor, you're obviously like we've touched on known for your hundred mile an hour fastball. What went into the development of that pitch? Cause you can't just wake up one day and throw a hundred. Well, honestly, that's how it happened. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, I was, so, like, like a short backstory. Uh, I was a junior. I was at junior college playing uh, third base. Uh, our shortstop got injured, or we didn't. I don't know what happened exactly. We didn't have a shortstop, so they moved me to shortstop. I was playing shortstop at junior college, and then we had a, a doubleheader one game. They brought me in to pitch the last inning of the doubleheader, and I hadn't really. I had that was my first time pitching in the season. I hadn't had a radar gun. Everybody knew I, you know, had a had a good arm throwing it from shortstop in the hole or whatnot. Um, but after I pitched in that game, the next day, I get a call from my coach, and the coach says, "Hey, can you come and meet me in the cafeteria before you go to lunch?" I'm like, "Oh shoot! Like I'm in trouble. I don't know what I did. Probably skipped class or something." But this is not a good meeting. And uh, literally, the conversation was, "Hey, I think you're going to pitch the rest of the season." And I'm like, I, I told him I don't, I don't want to pitch. I don't, I don't like pitching. Shortstops are way cooler. I like, I want to hit tanks. I want to, you know, get turned double plays, do that whole deal. And he said, well, there was a, there was a scout at the game, had a radar gun. You were throwing 97 miles an hour and I think you should pitch. And, and that's literally, it literally happened overnight. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Um, as I got into professional baseball, I definitely realized the opportunity I had and I wanted to make the most of it. So like everybody else, you know, I worked hard and, dedicated myself to the craft but i cannot explain you know at that time i was i was 18 years old and uh coming into my body starting to weight lift so certainly like some strength and different things but um dude super super lucky i think i had a, a good a good upbringing and some really good coaches in my youth that instilled some good foundational skills or um good foundational just baseball Baseball, I don't know, IQ, baseball teaching, how to play the game, how to be a good teammate. 
Um, and then from there, I, I, I basically just didn't want to mess it up. So I <laughs> tried to do the best I could. Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you just say you didn't start pitching until you were 18 years old? Pretty much. I pitched, uh, I think, like I said, my youth, we had a good team, a good coach that tried to expose us to all positions, but pitching was not my, not my main deal. I did it, did it more out of uh, necessity to give someone else a break than, than being my, my, my true position. My true position was a uh, catcher and an infield. Okay. What do you, what do you prefer? If you could, if you could do over your career right now in the major leagues, would you remain a reliever or would you switch positions? If you Ooh. had the same success as you did a hundred percent switch positions, but I think it would be to be a starting pitcher because I can't hit curveballs. I'll swing at it in the dirt every time. But starting, I was a starting pitcher uh, through my minor league career. I actually never pitched out of the bullpen in the minor leagues and loved it. I love starting pitching. And um, so if I could, re if I could choose anything, it would be that. I don't know if I'd be how good I would be, but um, it seems a lot. Maybe in a different that, life. Yeah, right. It's just like that, <laughs> that mentality of like, okay, like I'm showing up, like today's my day. I'm going nine innings. Like I got you boys, you know, like the Roger Clemens story, like, or these stories you hear of, like, just give me one run. We're going to win this game. I love that mentality. Mm -hmm. Love that. So oh, you got it, Matt. Yeah. Uh, I was actually going to ask you about the current state of the game. So as everyone knows, a lot of changes in the offseason, right? Bigger bases, limited mound visits. You know, you got your strict uh, pitch clock, right? Um, and other changes. I'm curious to learn what do you like and what do you not like? And you have to pick one thing that you don't like about, yeah. about the rule changes in the game today man there's yeah that's a that's deep uh <laughs> there's i okay so baseline i think the intentions are good like i think they're they're, mm -hmm. they're trying to do good like i don't think it's one side players or or the mlb trying to make it hard on one person or the other you know i think it's all the intentions are for the good of the game to in, increase the fandom and 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 really just provide the best quality product that we can, because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's an entertainment industry. We're providing a product to a consumer and, and that's what we want to do. We want it, that to be the highest quality possible. And if, if we're not forward thinking, if we're not making changes, we're going to fall behind. That's just life. Um, I think the disengagement rule where you're limited on disengagements is, is a one that I, I'm having trouble fully understanding um, how how you could limit that. And then uh, I think the shift too. I don't know if I'm a fan mm, of banding and that, shift. Yep. I think even as a pitcher, I, I I well as a pitcher, I yeah, I would love to have the shift. I yeah, of I, course, yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I, and then the sticky stuff is an interesting one too, because if you look, my my philosophy on on the on the grip is the batter is able to enhance his grip. Why cannot the pitcher? And they're both using it with the same intention of increasing their success. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think I think less batters are in danger if you have a better grip on the baseball. Am I yeah, wrong and I don't, that? yeah, I don't know what, how you quantify and measure the advantage. Definitely it was getting out of hand in some 
cases or scenarios. Um, but it, uh, you got, I don't know the, all it, all the changes that have took place recently seem to yeah, be swayed heavily in the favor of yeah, offense. Oh, sorry. Did you lose me? Yep, yeah. Yeah. Like two you're, seconds. We got you back. You're good. Okay. Yeah. I think the changes recently seem like every single change was swayed heavily in the favor of offense and not defense and I'm on the defensive side. Um, so that, I think that's why I kind of question like re- literally everything other than maybe the bigger bases, which I guess, you know, throw a pizza box out there, whatever that's backyard baseball, we can play a game however you want. But mm-hmm. um, Trevor on the topic of sticky stuff, you've been around the game for quite some time, man. Bullfrogs, sunscreen, sweat, rosin, in your opinion. And I'm not saying you use this or have ever used it. Um, what is the best concoction for a pitch grip? Um, it depends. Honestly, it depends on, on every day is different. You can go into a stadium. The ball that you get could be different depending on who rubbed it up, which team's supplying the balls, um, what state you're in, the climate, is it cold? Is it hot? So the grip varies pretty drastically. And then, and then for me, I've just been uh, a rosin guy and I've always had uh, like a, like a sugary gum in my mouth. And so just a combination of just kind of like licking my fingers and rosin has been, has been good for me, but I know it's not always the same. Even if I'm doing the same thing every single time, if I'm in California versus New York, the, or, or in Miami, the, the, it's the it's going to change based on the environment so i i don't have i don't know what's best uh, i think what they're doing is the rules always been there they just haven't been enforcing it and so i don't have a problem with what's taking place right now um my problem is more of, of just like if you're gonna, if you're gonna make changes they need to be universal and and on both sides and we need both to offense and defense make side sure of ball, that yeah. it's not swayed too heavily in, in one way or the other and and i think the shift is a really good example because there's definitely certain hitters that the shift was it was in danger of of ending their career um and Joey Gallo. exactly not names, and, but... and, and you don't want to see that and but now it's kind of gone the opposite way where i'm like well like what pitchers careers are being ended now because of, of these changes. I, there's no, I don't know. I mean, that's above my pay grade and there's a lot, sure. a lot of people spending more time thinking about this than me. I'm uh, as a player. And like, we this is kind of tying back into the mental side too. As a player, you can't spend too much time complaining about what's going on. It kind of is what it is. And you, it's your job to figure out how to operate within, mm-hmm. within the boundaries. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. So I, I, yeah, don't spend a whole lot of time diving into it. I think that's totally fair. Let me ask you in particular about the pitch clock. Do you feel it benefits one side of the ball or the other? Um, I, I've always preferred to work quick. And just from observing games, it doesn't seem like it's affecting or giving one side too much of an advantage. Uh, on paper, I, it, I, think it's giving the hitter the control um in the past you as a pitcher even coming up when i was drafted through the minor leagues pitching coaches always are preaching like hey like you control the game nothing happens until you throw the ball take your time you know all these things and now that's not necessarily true um so i i think it's shifted shifted that practice a little bit but i don't know i like i like i I think the speed of the game is good i i think 
I don't know. Quicker game, getting home quicker. I'm I'm not going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Trevor, so you had the opportunity to play in a few playoff series with the Cardinals and a World Series. How do you handle pitching in those high leverage situations? It's, and how do you maintain yeah. your confidence? Yeah, it, um, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but what what really has helped me is I've all, I've just always felt. Re- prepared like I've felt overly prepared and and in those moments um because of my preparedness it's I'm able to really just have one thought and and just one focus uh, and almost a vision or an intuition of like okay I've been here I've done this before I've pictured the success I know what the outcome is going to be so I'm not worried about it and 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 that one thought is around Okay, I'm gonna whatever it is my my, my routine of like I'm I'm gonna be ready uh, to throw to execute whatever pitch that we're executing. I'm gonna be prepared defensively to cover a base to turn a double play, whatever it might be. Um, and I and I think that's that's really all it's been is I, I don't I've never been on the mound and, and questioned if if I'm ready for that situation. I've always felt very confident with with how I prepared and. How important do you feel visualization is for you and other people in the same role as like a closer, high leverage reliever? I think it's extremely important, especially the more you play the game, because you can get numb to some of the situations, you know, pitching in a World Series game. And then four months later, you're pitching in on an April 20th and at one, you know, one o'clock and in a game that's not doesn't feel as important. And, and that's where the visualization for me has, has been valuable to, I don't know how to word it exactly, but it's almost like you make the situation seem more important than it really is. Um, and, and it, there's a, I, I have a lot of friends. I've be, had a lot of I've developed a lot of relationship with military personnel, personnel and, um, and, and team members on, on military teams that, operate at a very high level and, and, and we have some similar, similar mindsets or similar skills that help us to execute in those pressure situations. And for them, it comes from literally life and death for us. The situation is not life and death, but if you're able to kind of trick yourself into getting into that mindset of like, Hey, like if I don't, if I don't do this, like, we're, we're, we're getting killed. Like I'm letting down the, all the guys behind me, this team that's counting on me. And, and, and that's for me where the visualization has been important of, of kind of hyping it up more than it is because you could do the opposite. You could, you could, you could calm yourself down too much to the point where you're not in at, you're not, in, you're not intense enough. Um, so you, I don't think you want to be crazy for me. I'm not, I don't want to be, for me, it's, it's like an internal internal drive and, and internal intensity and then uh, from the external a calmness and the, that's like the sweet spot that's the sweet spot for me absolutely trevor um during any of your spring trainings i know a lot of teams will bring in speakers is there any speaker that the cardinals or any of the other teams you might have played for brought in during that time that really uh hit home with you mm. 
I don't think about that one. Yeah, uh, we had a, a an author. What's it? I know his last name's Maxwell. I can't remember his first name right now. He starts with a G. But uh, not a big Maxwell, book guy, so yeah, he he came in and he actually spent yeah right. He uh, he spent a lot of time with us. We actually like had a conference meeting and he sat down. He was great. Um, there's a a former NHL player. John Ramage, yep. he came in and spoke. He was great, um, and he was just his talk was a great example of of what we touched on earlier. Of like, just because you're a professional athlete, just because you're really good at shooting a puck or throwing a ball, like there's reality outside of that, and it's it a lot of it. You you got to figure out some other things outside the lines and. And I think it's important for players, especially young players, to hear that. And he did a good job of communicating that message. Let me ask you this, Trevor. So let me bring you back to the 2013 World Series. Let's just say it's game six, tie game. David Ortiz comes to the plate. He's having the best postseason, literally, of any player ever in the history of the game. What's your approach to him? And what's Yadier Molina whispering in your ear on the mound? Yeah, hear that. Yeah. Uh, So I faced him. I think it was game six when I faced him. I believe so. There was nobody on. I think two outs. He was coming up to the plate. I went to go throw the first pitch, and my foot slipped and ended up – I think I didn't throw the ball, so I got called for a balk. And a manager came out, put him on intentionally, and I was so mad because – You I wanted was, to face David Ortiz. I wanted to face him so bad. Um are you and telling us right now on. on the podcast you were going to strike him out in that situation? I don't know. He 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 probably would have hit a four hundred foot tank, but <laughs> uh, I but I I wanted it was for me it wasn't really uh, it was a win win situation for me because we were down a few runs and if you know whatever he did it wasn't going to change the outcome of that game too drastically. But uh, but yeah, they put they put him on and that but that's an example of that in that internal intensity when, when I, when they told me that we were going to put him on, it was like this fire. Like I was so mad, but you would never know externally um, because I was in that sweet spot of just controlling my emotions and, but also competing at a very high level. If you struck him out, would you have cut the ball? No, you That'd can't. Be, Game six yeah. of the World Series. You can't come on. <laughs> Um, so one of my, one of my favorite strikeouts in my career was against Miguel Cabrera, who he's a team, you know, he's been a teammate now mm-hmm. and I had him the next, I think the next day I had him sign, had him sign a, a Jersey for me. And I just thought, I think that's just great. Like the guy like that, the hall of famer, you know, that's one that you don't forget. Like that, the hall yeah. of famer, you're like, Oh, I, I, I got him. Like, that's, I don't know. That's so cool. It's surreal. I mean, playing in the major leagues is surreal. First strikeout, I think it was Corey Hart. No, he was with okay. Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. Yep. yep. Do you have that ball? Yep. Yes, have that ball. You have to have that ball. Trevor, are I, you a memorabilia guy at all? Not really. I wish I I was a little bit more, but I have some a few jerseys that I like. I have like, like a Nolan Ryan jersey. Uh, a few of my St. Louis Cardinal teammates that were more of just they they were great players, but more of just like good friends that I've collected some memorabilia from them, but 
Yeah, I wish I there's some there's guys that have really cool collections. I've just never gotten too into it. So you've played for a bunch of teams as we've been over. How do you adjust to those new environments, whether it's uh, coming in in spring training or coming in midseason during the trade deadline? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I've been with nine organizations now, and it's almost like you have like that feeling of like first day of like a new school, where like oh, like I hope I like fit in with the cool kids, or you know, you want to get with like the right group and or be accepted, both people to like you. So I think you initially have that feeling, but what I've found is like it's literally the same everywhere. Like like the baseball dudes are, it's just all the same, um, which makes it really fun. It's like you just kind of plug in, like the bullpen guys are all kind of have their deal. The, you know, the catchers are all kind of wired the same way. And um, so I think that's what I found. And it, it makes it it makes it easy and not as intimidating to walk into those situations. And then a little bit quicker to develop relationships because you're like, hey, like we're all here for the same reason. And like, I just want to help you do your job well. And we just want to win. So like, let's figure out how to get it done. So basically. You guys all hang out together. There's not groups within the team, like cliques. There, there's not really cliques, um, especially on like the good teams. There, there will be a little bit of a divide just because of language barriers. You'll see, you know, Latin guys want to hang out with Latin guys, and Americans want to hang out with Americans. There's a little bit of that, but I don't know. It's like just kind of like you find like maybe a buddy, like um, you know, a lot, a lot of my friends have just been position players and. Maybe being in the bullpen all the time, like when you're not in the bullpen, you don't prefer to hang out with those bullpen guys because you spend so much time together anyways. You're like, hey, let me go talk to somebody else for a couple hours. Um, but it's cool. I mean, it's like I said, like at the end of the day, the especially the good teams, like, hey, like winning is the most important thing. It doesn't really matter what else is going on. Like, how can we how can I push you to get better? And and the the people who don't have or the guys that don't have that goal uh, usually get weeded out anyways. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the interesting difference that I've seen from organization to organization has more to do with um, the ownership and top level executives and the, the management styles and, and almost from just like a budgetary standpoint too, where, you know, some teams they just have an abundance of resources and then, uh, when 2021, I was with the Oakland A's, who probably have the least amount of resources available to to a staff, and it was it's interesting to see those dynamics, but then also to realize like those resources don't re- uh, necessarily determine winning or or player development, player success. I mean, being in Oakland, there was some studs there, and it was like their their mentality is almost like yeah we don't need anything like we'll go out here and get it done no matter what and um i love that like that was that was a really good learning experience because being a professional athlete especially in the major leagues you can get accustomed to a lifestyle and you you can become a prima donna pretty pretty quick and start complaining like hey my you know my cleats aren't clean or whatnot and you can lose a little bit of perspective. So I, I really enjoyed that. I think a lot of guys can learn from you, Trevor. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. So and, Trevor, you and I've had to learn the hard way too. So I'm like, it's like, wow, that's why I want to share the message. Cause like yeah. learn the hard way and fun. Trevor. So you said you were with Oakland for a little bit. We 
they just released the news they're going to be moving to Vegas by probably it's looking like 2027. This is a two-part question for you. With that move from Oakland, I know you were with Nashville last year. The move, Oakland moving opens the door for an expansion franchise. Do you think Nashville is the number one destination for that expansion franchise? Well, I mean, I'm not an economist. You guys are asking me some tough questions <laughs> here. <laughs> the only reason uh, he's asking that is because he's the current resident of Nashville right now. Okay, he wants an expansion okay. team right next door. That's why he's asking. All right. I'm just that curious about the culture, it. dude. I'm just curious. I'm, I just want to know. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Do you think the Nashville fan base is good enough to support a major league team or professional sports team? I think Nashville is a very awesome sports town. I think the sounds are in the top um, three in attendance every single year. I don't think that it's a bad move to go there. I don't necessarily know if like Montreal is the best move or another place in Florida or something. Am I wrong to think that Vegas might not be the best move? Am I wrong to think the A's are moving to Vegas? No, I know that, but I'm I'm just saying it may not be the greatest move. Ooh, that's I think that's interesting. Well, follow-up question. Did you go see Taylor Swift this last weekend? I didn't. They actually uh, told me I couldn't make it. She's playing to, uh, she played last night. She's playing tonight and tomorrow. It's insane down there. I'm in Massachusetts now. Thank God. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. So, so, I mean, I have three daughters. My, old, my oldest daughter is nine. She's just getting into the T-Swift movement, and I'm all, I'm all here for it. Um, her tickets are rather expensive, so I got to figure uh, out how to get bit. in there. But uh, I've heard, I've heard they put on a good show, so uh, definitely want to try and make one at some point. Um, I think like with Oakland, Oakland was great. Like I, I like that community is is really strong, and I think they could support a, a good team. Um, that for whatever reason they just weren't able to. They just wanted to get out of there. So uh, I don't know what Vegas looks like. I think living in Vegas as a 20-year-old with a million dollars in your pocket could present a lot of challenges. Yep. Um, Nashville might be a little Same bit. with Nashville. Is it? Is it? Okay. So I they mean, call yeah. call it Nash Vegas, Trevor. All right. Man, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't have a good answer for that, but I think I would just go to like, I mean, at the end of the day, whatever is good for the game. I love baseball. I love I love the MLB and what they do, and I just want to see it continue to succeed. It's it's given me, I mean, such huge blessings in my life that wouldn't have happened any other way. So I would never wish anything but the best for the league, and and so hopefully these moves are good for that. <laughs> Very diplomatic. That's the yeah. best answer you could have given. <laughs> we were hoping for something a little more controversial. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Trevor, so I started um, in journalism about 10 years ago covering the Red Sox and their system. I'm from Massachusetts, uh, so I had access to a lot of their uh, affiliate teams. So I got to hear a lot of like crazy minor league stories, like seven guys sleeping in a four-person apartment, people eating peanut butter and jellies just once a day just to get by. What is your experience in the minor leagues, and what's the wildest story you can tell us? Oh, um, yeah, it is pretty, I think it's gotten a lot better and there, I, the, yeah, those stories of 
shacking up with a bunch of dudes just to try and reduce the rent. So you have a little bit of extra dollars to put in your pocket at the end of the month. Those are all true. I think it's, they're getting better at trying to get away from those situations now. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of my experience has been eye opening at a young age to getting exposed to the, to the Latin culture. When I was first drafted, I got down to the spring training facility with the St. Louis Cardinals playing in the Gulf coast leagues, Gulf coast league. My first pitching coach with the St. Louis Cardinals did not speak English. I was the only, by the end of the season, I was the only American player on the team. And that was a lot of just culture shock of, of, and I think in a good way, I think it made, it made me, you know, a, a Kansas Juco kid realized that the world's a lot bigger um, and there's a lot more out there to learn. And, and I was thankful for that, but it's not the, the, those uh, experiences don't always turn out well either. I had a lot of teammates who show up to those scenarios and they're like, Hey, I'm out of here. Like, this is not what I want. I want to go home to what I know where I'm comfortable and I don't want to, I don't want to be exposed to this, but I think they're doing a better job now of educating and providing better resources. The nutrition programs have gotten a lot better. Um, yeah. When I first got into the minor leagues, eating peanut butter and jellies or a cold bowl of soup on a hot day, it's probably not the best for athletic performance, but it also, I mean, there's an argument to be made where it makes you appreciate the success a little bit more. It, it makes you appreciate the grind a little bit more when you get there. Uh, you don't, you don't take it for granted as much. So it's a two way street for sure. I'm thankful for my experience, but at the same time, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories out there that don't get publicized um, on the bad end too of, of players that get into bad spots because of those situations and because of lack of resources. So um, I'm actually uh, been operating on the board of, of MLB's nonprofit bat, which is the baseball assistance team joined them about three years ago. And that's really our mission is to help players in those situations and do the best we can uh, to, to help guys that get into bad spots because of circumstances that are out of their control, but definitely passionate about that. Definitely have a passion for um, making sure that, that, people don't fall through the cracks because not every, not every player, very few players have a story like mine to be able to come all the way through and, and get on top and have sustained, sustained success. So we've got to take care of all, all, every single person. Like you talked about Liam, I mean, every single person is important. Just, you know, whether you're helping contribute to the world series or not, like, I mean, life is invaluable. So I want to make sure we're looking out for each other. Absolutely. I um I have a quick round of rapid fire questions for you that I had I wanted to use save for the end. Um so one word answers. All right, I got five of them. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Hitter you're most most scared to face in the game today. <laughs> I'm not doing this too fast. Uh <laughs> it's you're not timed. Okay. I would say Andrew McCutcheon for some reason. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I love that answer. All right, does he have your number or something? Not to cut you off, Matt. Sorry, does he have your number? He's got. I don't know if he has my number. There's a few like at bats that keep me up at night. Wake, wake up. Like, dang it, how did he do that? 
It's got a good approach. Uh, yeah. Favorite stadium to pitch in? Dodger Stadium. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? There's one right answer. Yes. I agree. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, your favorite mu- musician on the face of the planet right now? Oh, well, I mean, I've been jamming Taylor Swift, but I don't know if she's my favorite. Oh, my favorite right now, Morgan Wallen. That his new it's album. Gotta be. Is sick. Yeah. Good answer. You made up for the pineapple one. All right. Um, in what gymnastic event would you be the best at if you were to do one right now? <laughs> I'm none of them. That's my answer, but uh, you I gotta like be vault. the best at one of them. The vault? I like vault. I it's just it. My I I don't know. My ba- my brain can't comprehend running full speed at an object and then like doing whatever they do off. Doing of it. whatever like, they do. I don't know. So if I could pick one to be the best, I'd be that. Mine would just be the foam pit. <laughs> yeah, <the Yeah>. <laughs> Trevor, you said you're a Morgan Wallen fan. What's uh, what's your warm-up song? Uh, I've had a few. I had Avenged Sevenfold for a little bit. And then um, the longest run was a 300 violin orchestra, which is like a just a kind of like an instrumental beat. Yep. I don't know. I don't I try not to put too much uh honestly I don't hear it. Like like I said, I, I when I'm coming to the game kind of in my zone and I don't it's like you're like you have tunnel vision, so I don't hear anything, I don't see anything. Usually like if I'm if I'm hearing stuff and seeing stuff, like my like, right, this might not this might not turn out too good. Okay. <laughs> Trevor, I actually have one last question for you, then we'll let you get about your day. I have one more what too, is, go ahead. Oh, okay, I guess we got two more. What is the funniest heckle you've ever heard from a fan? so many good ones uh <laughs> i i there's some funny thing like there's people that are bad and it, you're like dude like okay like you tell me i suck over and over again like i got it like but yeah. you appreciate like the good ones I, off the top of my head i can't honestly can't remember um Phil, i would say though like philly like when you're in philly those some of those dudes are pretty good the the, the best the best comeback i've seen from teammates i had a teammate with the St. Louis Cardinals, Randy Choate, and he is a beauty of a person. And and uh, if someone was yelling at him, he would always he would always get their attention and be like, "Hey," he's like, "I don't come to your your work and yell at you when you burn my fries." <laughs> <laughs> I, that I just I don't know that one was, and the fans like they would appreciate that too because they he would he would get them good. Absolutely. Um. Actually, one more, and then Matt, you can take yours, and then Trevor, we're gonna let you go. Trevor, how old is too old to bring a baseball glove to a game? Mm. Great question. Well, I mean, if you're for one, if you're sitting in the upper deck, you shouldn't bring a glove. Those people drive me a little bit nuts. Um, and then I would say there's like a gap. So like probably once you're 16, maybe like 18, eight, I'll say 18 to – 18 to like 35, like you probably shouldn't bring a glove. And then like once you get, you know, 35 depth perception, you know, those things aren't working as well, maybe 30. Then, okay, like now let's put a glove back on just for safety reasons. Like (laughs) you got to protect the baby or something. But yeah, there's a gap in there where like, hey, dude, like you got to be a man. Like let's let's catch this thing. For sure. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) All right. I've been waiting for this one all day. 
So we do some digging on our guests on the show, but this did not actually take much digging. <laughs> in 2014. Do you know where I'm going with this? No. Okay. You got Nervous. up on stage with Adam Wainwright. Oh, jeez. And you sang Love is an Open Door. Love is an Open Door, baby. <laughs> that was not the first time you guys sang that, and I know that. Because after watching it for about six seconds, I figured it wasn't the first second. It might have been the 20th time you guys did that. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, it's true. And I would say today, like my performance is much stronger than then because I was not happy with it. I'm like, all right, if I got asked to do that again, I'm going to do way better. But yeah. So Adam Wainwright, he's also a, a girl, strong girl dad. He has four daughters. I have three. So we're not afraid to jump into some frozen soundtrack. And that's for you sure. guys were, you guys are bouncing off each other. The line where it's like, it's crazy. We finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I yeah. was going to say. I lost it. I lost it was, it. You guys crushed it. He so maybe maybe it. we should expect a um a comeback of sorts of you and Adam Wainwright getting together and just doing it all over again for the fans. Well, if it's you know, it's for a good cause, it's for charity. Like Yeah, of course. You gotta do it. <laughs> no, it was great. It was awesome, man. It was not awesome, but thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, we really appreciate your time, man. Um, what is the timetable on your return to Detroit? Yeah, so it's hard to know exactly. And I'm, I'm trying to not put that kind of, I don't know, expectation on myself. I think, like I said, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be really good. Um, Got to take care of this injury first and foremost. But it looks like from today, best case scenario, six to eight weeks. Um and then long, longer table, maybe 10 to 12. So, um, yeah, I, for me, it's like I want to get back out there as soon as possible. But I've learned a lot, learned a lot of lessons, and I'm going to really lean on the advice of the professionals around me. Detroit's got a really good good staff, and, and we, we both want the same thing. We both want the best outcome possible. And, and so I'm going to trust them. I'm going to give them all, you know, all the honest feedback and, and then trust their guidance. Um, but like I said, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in the prime and I'm, I'm not giving up. I want to get back out there. So be patient. It'll happen. And when it does, it's going to be good. Trevor. Well, thank you so much. We wish you the best of luck with your recovery. We're going to be keeping tabs on uh, your process this season. Hopefully, uh, you'll be in Detroit and hopefully we'll be able to meet you in there uh, at some point before the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, when I get back out there, hit me up. Let's do it. We would love to have you guys as guests. And I thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited for everything you guys are doing. And I'm here to help if you guys ever need anything in the future. Really appreciate it. Appreciate Trevor. you. Thank We're you. pulling for you, Trevor, man. The, uh, the one thing I'm, we're going to ask after uh, you hop off, it's going to a window is going to come up that says just keep the window open just so your uh, video and audio uploads. You don't have okay. to be on camera. Um, the window will just be there. Okay, perfect. Really appreciate it, man. We will be we will keep in touch. Best of luck. Um go jam some Taylor Swift. Let's do it. <laughs> Godspeed. Right, yeah. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. All right, Matt. That was I mean that was great stuff from the man himself, Trevor Rosenthal. I'm going to give me a moment, Matt. Occupy the audience. I'm going to readjust my mic and positioning.
because Liam's so OCD, I now have the responsibility to keep you guys entertained for the next 30 seconds. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but what you, but, uh, I mean, what you heard from Trevor Rosenthal was great stuff. Um, uh, I couldn't say, say it better myself. This guy has been through uh, many injuries. And like we talked about earlier on in the show, there's a lot of times where you see a guy go down um, or even earlier in his career, even in his 20s, mind you, in his uh, you know younger 30s and bounce back the way he did. You just you just don't really see it that often in the game or even across uh, professional sports as a whole. And you heard it from him. Liam, I think his mic is fixed now. He's not only a former former all star, but he's going to be a future all star as well. And we will see triple digit heat from him once again. So um, really pulling for, for, for Trevor. Uh, all right, back in action. Um, that interview went very well, I thought, Matt. Um, longer than I thought. Oh, I'm adjusting Matt's, as well. Sorry, Matt's just adjusting as well. Oh. Oh, we're adjusting to the original positions that I suggested yesterday, right? He always has to win. There goes my, there goes my earpiece. There we go. Give us a moment here. Yeah, just, just, just. Hit the hit the skip button. <laughs> yeah, this is a hit thirty. Hit thirty. All right. Good to go, Matt. Better than ever. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's run through this quick, Matt. We got a couple things to cover, and we can uh, we'll get out of here. We'll get out of your hair. Do you want me to kick it off? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, if you All right, so Liam has something to get fine. off his chest. No. <sighs> All right, we're going to talk about it here. Uh, Trevor Bell, nonsense. Liam, I'm just going to let you take it away. Okay, so before we start this, let me ask anyone in the audience. Have you ever heard, we just had an all-star pitcher named Trevor on. That's not who we're talking about here. Has anyone in this audience ever heard the name Trevor Bell? Don't worry, I'll wait. Crickets. Yeah. No is the answer. Okay, great. So a couple of weeks ago, it's going to piss me off. It's going to ruin my mood. We just had a great interview with Trevor Rosenthal. It's going to piss me off all over again. So a couple of weeks ago, some random person commented on one of our videos regarding the automatic strike zone saying uh, you know what let me matt give me a moment i'm just going to bring up the exact transcripts thank you you're welcome uh, let's see here he's been waiting for this for about maybe two weeks this is more than that this is more than that about a month so liam's girlfriend's see. in the studio she just confirmed it's been a month going of of him wanting to get this off his chest so Okay, so out of nowhere, this guy comments on the reel and says, get this guy out of baseball. Not talking about me, talking about the subject I was interviewing, who Trevor Bell probably doesn't know this, but has over 50 years in professional fucking baseball. So I would think he knows what he's talking about a little bit more than someone who's eat, someone who spent a cup of coffee in the major leagues 
and wants to wants to start giving opinions on shit like he like he's been anywhere like he's accomplished anything professionally it's unbelievable and out this was all completely unwarranted and the, so he just kept going back and forth we kept going back and forth and he's commenting and he's saying He's saying, oh, well, the, the automatic strike zone's bad. It's bad. Well, he has an ERA that's almost six. Of course he would think it's bad. No shit. He hasn't pitched since 2014. Nobody knows his name. I didn't even know who the fuck he was. I thought he was a random person. So then, and this is why I haven't even gotten to the reason why I'm so mad about this. He started commenting to other people in our comments saying, oh, did you play? Oh, did you play? Did you play? And that's a fucking trigger for me because I know these type of people. And the sense of entitlement that he was broadcasting was unbelievable for someone who hasn't done anything in their fucking career. So he's, he said to me, verbatim, he called me a computer nerd. And I don't care, Matt. Matt, we went to school together. You, you knew people that would say this to me all the fucking time and you knew Damn well, I knew a thousand times more than they did in my pinky. Is that true or false? I can't say false. Exactly. So that means true. So then this guy is just commenting, saying this shit. And he said, oh, you'll never get it. You're just a computer nerd. So great. That's great. We love, we love having op open conversations on this show. That's great. So let me just uh, let me bring back up the... Uh... So then, obviously, he says this bullshit. So I want him to come on the show. So I reach out to him like a normal person. And I said, I'll read it verbatim. Give me one moment to pull it up, Matt. It's unbelievable. I said, are you willing? Also, this is after I, he said, oh, well, I have five years in the big leagues. Big fucking whoop, first of all. You, so I looked him up because no one knows his name. He's played 54 games and his ERA is well above five. So he's awesome. So I DM'd him shortly after this correspondence saying, are you willing to come on the show and explain your take? The next day he responded, hey, dude, I'd consider it but I'm not interested in an argument or trying to prove why it's better for the game. Talking about the automatic strike zone. I simply was just giving my opinion and from the viewpoint of a former player. And he loves that line. I know when he was writing that line, he had a shit eating grin on his face. Cause he was like, <laughs> I played I fucking, I pitched in the big leagues for a second. Like awesome. Fuck you. So then I said, happy to have a friendly debate. But this entire interaction, you've broadcasted a, I know everything because I played and you know nothing because you didn't vibe, which is fine. If that's your opinion, we can dive into that as well. And I said, does Tuesday work? What do you think he said, Matt? If you had to guess. I had a feeling he didn't want to come on. Uh, yeah, so he's a bitch, and he blocked me. He blocked the show. He might even have blocked you, Matt. That'd be awesome. Why don't you actually go check that? That'd be the first time in my life that somebody had blocked me. That's the first time in my life someone's blocked me. We're going we're gonna to go to Instagram. What's this guy's name again? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Just... <laughs> exactly. I got him. Let's see. 
Well, I can see his pictures. Oh, well, I can't, so you're not blocked yet. Probably because you didn't ask him to come on the show. That's all I did. I wasn't even being a dick. Yeah. Just to come on the show, explain your take. If you have a stupid take, come on the show and talk about it. You're a sweet guy, you know that? Yeah. You really are. You're just you're just an angel. But hey, I, I'm just so happy you got this off your chest now. Are you good? Are you breathing? I I'm not gonna lie, I feel a lot better. A lot better. Because that's what of a that's a month buildup we're looking at that was just released in the past seven and a half. Just months. about. Right? right? Just about. Are you are you ready to move on? I'm not gonna move on unless you give me the green light. Okay, yeah, now I'm ready. Okay. Right, now good. I'm ready. All right, so we're now for the next. But also, wait, hold on. Trevor Bell, if you hear this, because you're a weirdo, you might even be listening to this. If you hear this, come on the show. I don't understand what the problem is. I'll be cordial. We can be friends. I don't care. We can People can argue, have different opinions, and still be nor, act like normal human beings. But apparently he can't. He just blocks everyone after he starts an argument. Let's go. I don't want to talk about this. Marley Rivera. <laughs> In other news. Did anyone see this? <laughs> um, off. She thought she was off camera. Now, so Marley Rivera has been with ESPN for 13 years um, as uh, an MLB reporter. And, you know, she's been uh, kind of on the forefront for baseball for ESPN, you know, the past past decade or so. So if you follow baseball and watch ESPN, you should know who Marley Rivera is. She was caught off field, or I should say on the field, but on when she what she thought was off camera, uh, calling another reporter, Yvonne Gate, an effing C word that rhymes with bunt. Not gonna say it here. You can connect the lines. So one thing I'll say about that, I have enjoyed Marley's work over the last year, uh, few years. She does exceptional coverage, especially for like the Latin aspect of the game. You're in the media. You have to expect a camera's going to be on you at some point. Like you have to always be acting like a camera's on you. And even if it's just like, and maybe she was having a bad day, man. I don't want to, I don't want to throw her under the bus, throw her in front of the train. Like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't know her. I just know the story that was reported. There's two sides to every story. It looks like, yeah. it looks like she had a time scheduled with, with Judge. Aaron Judge. Yep. And then somebody else was stepping on her toes. And I get that, man. I get journalism, that. That's, that's like an unwritten rule of journalism. You don't, you just don't do that. I don't disagree, but, but I'm not justifying right. that doesn't yeah in front of Aaron Judge and also in front of little kids that were there. That well, were that's that's the thing too. If I'm Aaron Judge and someone says that to someone that I'm talking to, I'm never speaking to you again. Yeah. Like I don't want to deal with like he's Aaron Judge. He he doesn't need to deal with that. Why would why would he want it? And good for ES. I no good for ESPN for cutting her because that's I think they made the right call. Yeah. Not okay. again, not often that you and I agree on this show. Um, A's nope. to Vegas, Liam, we kind of just touched on it with uh, Trevor. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I I don't see Vegas as a, a true fan base. Like, if, think about baseball. You pay, play 81 home games a year. You got to draw. And I know the A's are probably drawing right now less than 2,000 fans to a ball game in Oakland, but. 
Right about right around there, yeah, two three thousand. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know the pop. I was looking up the population of Vegas. It's like five hundred thousand people actually live there, and then what? The rest are just going to be a bunch of drunk kids in their twenties that just want to go watch a baseball game. Like, I don't. Are they going to be able to grow a true fan base in Vegas? I don't know. That's, Good point, that, Matt. That's my struggle. How many true baseball fans that are looking for a team that a don't already have one? Because that's also a risk. Well, how many A's fans are going to follow them to Vegas and still continue that's their fandom? That's not that's not a stone throw away to go to a to go to a game down in Vegas. I'm not saying follow. I'm not saying follow like move no, their likes. I'm just saying like yeah. I'm just talking about like attendance. Like, I I think I I was actually one of the plans I saw. Um, it was like a 1.5 billion dollar park, but maybe 35. Did you say 1.5 million? Billion. Okay. If I didn't say, I meant billion. If I didn't say it, um, but but the capacity was around thirty five thousand, so that's less than Fenway Park, which is one of the smallest ballparks in in the league. So I mean, they're not even expecting that much in attendance. So it's interesting move. Uh, did it have to happen? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it did. Yes, it did. Mm, it did. Okay. You can't you can't draw. And this isn't this has nothing to do with the A's players or the A's fans. This has everything to do with. One thing, one man, and one man alone, John Fisher, the owner of the A's. He just refuses to put any kind of resources into the team. There's there's fucking possums, Matt, in the broadcaster's booth, literally living in the ceiling of the broadcaster's booth. This is a major league stadium. It's a multi-million dollar corporation. What like you can't It's not a it's not a major league f- uh, team on the field though right now. I'm pretty sure they got five wins right now in the West. They're seven and twenty-six. Seven now, so now yeah. they're up to seven. Well, yeah. because they're. What do you think they're doing? Mm. What do you think they're doing? Uh, picking their nose. I don't know. They're ta- they're tanking to get into the draft lottery, so they can yeah, get one of the top picks. It, <laughs> they're going to do that. Matt, this is going to happen because think about it. When they move this season, thirty-three games into the season. Yeah. What about it? Go ahead. When they moved to Vegas in 2027, fuck, where was I going with this? Damn it. Forget. It's a good thought. Maybe we can come back to that later. Let's move on. To, <laughs> let's move on. To, we got a couple more topics here before uh, we let you all off the hook today. Uh, so we also were talking with uh, Trevor about the shift. Um, so teams, obviously, when they face Joey Gallo, they found a loophole where they're either pulling the center fielder and putting him in shallow right, or they're bringing in the, the right fielder and moving the center fielder out to like right center. Finding a loophole in the system, what do you think about that with, with what's going on with that? I think a loophole in the system is fine because I think you have to have something to offset the clear advantage you're giving to hitters. 100%. I agree. Um, But even so, even with that loophole that other teams have found with – Joey Gallo and players alike, Joey Gallo is still having the best offensive year of his career in the last like four years. And he's still hitting under 200. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I am neutral on the shift rule. I don't know if I love it or hate it yet, to be honest. Yeah, I don't really have, like, for example, like Gallo has a, 163 OPS plus this season. It's one month, small sample size, but I wasn't able to see his OPS plus last April when the shift was not banned, but I would bet everything I've ever had 
that it was significantly lower than 163. I would agree. I definitely would agree. Um, what else? What else we got here? Uh, interesting story uh, from Pittsburgh. Drew Maggi, 13 years, 1,155 games, 4,500 plate appearances in the minors. And at 33 years old, he gets the call. He wasn't even expecting it. You should have seen. Did you see the? Uh, there was a, the live footage. If you guys haven't seen, yeah, go go uh, go take a look at uh, the Drew Magic call up video. Uh, he was stunned. Thirty-three year old rookie, and then he comes in uh, pinch hit situation against the Nationals, RBI, and then he comes back with a double the next uh, the next inning or next two innings. Um, but really, there's no other sport like baseball where you get a story like that. No, it's just crazy. It's we see this every few years. A minor league grinder yeah. finally makes his debut. Just congratulations to Drew Maggi. Um, he got sent back down. Yeah, hopefully he'll be back up. Hopefully, uh, maybe another team will pick him up and give him a true shot in the major leagues. But uh, it is always refreshing to just see a guy's hard work pay off like that. Uh, do you want to jump into uh, MNK, Liam? Yeah. Does he ever? Okay. And then, okay. So, Matt, I told you before the show that these are going to be a little, there's a little twist to this. I don't like twists unless it's ice cream. Jesus Christ. Um, Hold on. Give me one second. Because you're going to have 60 seconds to answer these questions. So, yeah, they're not. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You, if I ask a question, you can say skip, and I'll come back to it at the end. Oh, so you're going to time the whole okay. The whole thing, yep. All right, all right. Give me one sec. Let me get my... Wow, there really is a twist on this MNK round. I don't know how I feel about it already. I guess we're going to see. <laughs> okay, all right. That's usually that laugh is also not a good sign, but let's let's get on with it. Come on. People are waiting. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. What is the morning show on MLB Network called? Skip. I have I have something. I just don't want to be wrong. Name a Royals player. I wish everyone could see my face right now. <laughs> Do you want to skip? Skipping. Name one MLB network personality. Chris Russo. What? Yeah. Okay. Who's the head of the MLB Players Association? What's his name? I think I might go one for six on this MNK skip. Name one Rockies player. <laughs> you know... He went from being nice in the last few rounds of MNK. I think I went four okay, for. So. I think That's... I went. Yeah, time's up. I think I went five for like four in the first round, and then maybe three in the second round, and then you really go for the jugular on this one. So I'm gonna fold. Okay, so so let me just for the audience quick because I, I, I let us know. Let us know. Leave a Leave a review, let us know, comment, DM us, whatever. Do you think that as somebody, someone that hosts a baseball podcast, 
they can't name a player on the Kansas City Royals or the Colorado Rockies. Honestly, not one right now. Not confidently. I understand. Take a guess. Take a guess. If you get one player on either team, I'll never talk about this specific MNK again. Actually, you want a redemption question, Matt? Do you have a do you have a, a redemption if, question question? If you give the... me one minute just to confirm. I knew I knew this was coming at some point. I knew this I was meant in the to card. do this before the show, but I did not have time. Give me one sec. Uh, let's see. And you can't even be mad at me, Matt, if you don't get this one. I just got a... Sorry, I'm looking something up. Matt, name one player in Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Joe DiMaggio. Okay. That was legit so fucking easy. I mean, that was... If you can name if you can name one more, I won't talk about this again. I mean, I can. I just have to run through the entire song in my head. Yeah. I knew this was going to happen. Richard Nixon, Studio Baker, Television, Northgate, Rosenberg, H. Palmer, Sugar, Ray, Pound, John, Brandon, they keep the... Catcher in the rye, Eisenhower vaccine, England's got a new queen. California baseball. Russians in Afghanistan, real fortune, Sally ride, heavy metal suicide. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, come on, man. There's another, there's like, two players. Yep. Dude, I want, I want you to get it, dude. I'm trying to be nice. Like, I'm trying to be nice. I want there's you to two get it. players and we didn't start the fire? Yes. Ben Hurst, Space Monkey, Mafia, Hulu's Castro. I I don't know, man. I I I would have to literally sit here and go through the entire five minute song in my head. <sighs> Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, well, what an episode today in the CITV pod. Liam absolutely just murdered. Oh, what Zach Granke for who the Royals? Okay, <laughs> okay. Did you look that up? Don't lie. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. It just I, no, 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 no. That that yeah, <laughs> that's bad. All right. Well, we won't we won't talk about this ever again. That's bullshit. But we'll uh, um, Matt. Great episode. To- oh, we could tell them real quick what we're about to do Tuesday or keep it a surprise. A little preview. Just, just tell them. We'll be in Portland on Tuesday, May 9th, uh, with a couple interviews, a couple on-field things, uh, trying to bang out the details of everything. But hopefully we'll have some pretty cool content, cool experiences up in Portland this week. Um, and I think, Matt, I don't also, something we didn't talk about, like, you heard what Trevor Rosenthal said, right? About? 
He like, said a lot of things. Like I'm, I'm telling you, the second that guy gets back up to, oh Detroit, yeah, plan well, on being there. We're going to Detroit. As long as it's not the week I'm going to Puerto Rico, that's fine. We that's the end of June, right? It sure is. Yeah, it's, that's that's. Didn't he just well. say it's timetables ten weeks? Perhaps. Uh, I guess that's kind of that close. brings us that brings yeah. us close, but yeah, close. All right. It's okay. It's okay. We'll figure it out. Well, Matt, great show. Uh, we will talk to you guys Tuesday or Wednesday this week. And uh, Matt, any final thoughts, questions, prayers, concerns? All of them about you. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you guys.